Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. Good morning, Living Word Family Church. Good to see you. It was a nasty morning, huh? Cold, windy, rainy. And kind of wondered, looking out there, how many people would stay away because of the weather. And I still don't know that. I just wanted to say, you know, that that can be a pretty discouraging thing. And maybe especially since we've gotten so accustomed to, hey, we can turn it on TV, we can turn it on the computer, enjoy it from the comfort of our home. So I'm saying thank you for coming out. You recognize the value, the importance of gathering together. And those of you watching at home, shame on you. You should be here. No, that's not what I'm saying. We miss you. We desire to see you with us, and uh, we're all going to be, oh my goodness, yeah, let's just let's get excited and stay faithful and committed to doing this, to assembling together, right? There's strength there. Praise the Lord. Happy Mother's Day. Speaking specifically to the mothers in our midst this morning. <sighs> Asked the kids, I said, where do you want to take mom for lunch today? And I think it was Rainy said, you or us? I said, well, she's not my mom. She's your mom. We, we will take her out, but she's your mother. <laughs> so uh, be sure and be a blessing to your moms today. Um, I also wanted to tell you, uh, continue to keep Brenda lifted up in your prayers. I will send you an email uh, rather than uh, go into any great detail now, you know, for the sake, you know, just for the sake of the fact that we are broadcasting and, and live and everything this is something there's there's some things related to that to that that I need to address soon but I'm not going to go there today just say uh, she's still in very serious condition health-wise be praying for her I'll send you an email that will give you some more specific updates also Lisa how many subs we still need three possibly four uh, female uh, females to volunteer to help us with children's ministry and what we are what those positions are we just need you to volunteer to be a substitute you need to be on call we can't launch this thing until we know there's coverage uh, especially during the summer when we know uh, that that it's very unlikely that one person who is uh, committed to teaching a class is going to be there every single Sunday there are travels and vacations to consider and we've got to have the subs in line Lisa and Lisa are there You know who they are. Don't wait another week. Just make yourself available to serve in this capacity. Amen. Amen. Also, there is a workday scheduled for next Saturday. I so badly wanted to blame this on Matt because I knew what I meant, and I was hoping that he made the mistake when he retyped this, said we'd be doing some seeding. We're not going to be doing any seeding. We're going to do some weeding. We will be pulling weeds. That was my mistake. I had to look it up, Uh, but I own it. Uh, And thank you. Aaron for setting that up and launching this but and if you have questions about it you can see her but we plan on being here from about nine in the morning till noon so if you can bring you want to bring some gardening tools that'll make weeding easier some gloves we will have some mulch here that you can help us spread around get the family involved we can get it done pretty quickly if you want to get out of the workday uh, David Gulliford's graduating from Rama this weekend and so you can go to Tulsa 
if it's uh, worth it to you to get out of three hours work, now you're sure you can go down there and, and celebrate with, with the Gullifords. Graduation is also on Saturday, so it's a busy, busy weekend. Um, so I understand that, that you might have some time commitments, but again, if you could show up in the morning and help us out, even for a portion of that time, be greatly appreciated. Get our flower beds and the property spruced up a little bit. What else? Was, was there any other major announcements I needed to make that, that somebody may have uh, thrown at me on the way in that I didn't have written down? I don't think so. So praise the Lord. Good to see you this morning. It is a, even if it wasn't the kind of day you wanted to see when you opened the, opened the door, uh, this is still the day that the Lord has made, right? And I, for one, will rejoice and be glad in it. Last couple of weeks, we've been talking about faith. And I'm uh, going to go a little bit different direction this morning than I kind of talked like I would last week. Just still got to hear from God. And uh, I mean, I'm, it's not like, I didn't mean that as I still got to wait to hear from God before I preach that. What I mean is if I say something next week, I'm going to talk about this and God lays something else on my heart, I'm going to go with that. And it's not a huge departure, just a little bit different direction. And we'll still get to what I was talking about last week. But we have been talking about faith, and last week we started talking about the power of the tongue and how a, an indispensable component of faith is to speak faith-filled words. Remember, the, when we talk about the confession of faith or faith's confession, uh, that word confession is the uh, homo logeo, to agree with God, to say together, to say the same thing. So what we're doing when we uh, make faith's confession is simply agreeing, verbally agreeing about ourselves, about God, about his promises, and about circumstances, what God has already said. Open your Bibles, please, to Mark chapter 5. And we will read beginning in verse 21. We're going to look at uh, a few healing miracles that Jesus performed during his earthly ministry and what we can uh, learn about faith in these miracles. In Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 21, we read, Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And we, when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now, a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. And she had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had, come out, had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. 
go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Interesting, isn't it, that he, sa- he didn't say, wow, you, you just happen to be in the right place at the right time. My power has made you well. Your faith has made you well. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. We'll pick it up there in verse 35. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and he saw tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. And when he came in, when he, came in he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? A child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, but when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the little child, then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age. And they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said that something should be given her to eat. Keep that story in mind and turn to Matthew chapter 9, where we will read beginning in verse 27. Matthew 9, 27, when Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him, And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows it. But when they had departed, they spread the news about him in all that country. Now, in these passages, we have three miracles, two healings, and a little girl raised from the dead. I want to look closely at where we find faith in each one of these miracles, how this faith is expressed, and maybe even look at what we might call different levels of faith. Jairus, first of all, his faith was expressed how? In coming to Jesus in the first place. He had to have believed, he had to have known in his heart uh, that Jesus could heal his daughter. He was a ruler of the synagogue, and uh, we know from our reading of Scripture that those who were in positions of uh, influence in Jewish society, the rulers of the synagogue, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, etc., typically were not aligned with Jesus. They weren't, those who believed, and there were some, uh, typically... Uh, did not publicly express their faith in Christ because it threatened their standing in the synagogue. And here's Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, who had either heard Jesus, seen Jesus, or at least heard about Jesus and his reputation, and especially as a healer. And whether he was a secret believer in his heart of hearts and decided to express it, or more likely, in a moment of desperation, he was willing to reach out to Jesus and say, come and heal my daughter. She's at death's door, but if you will lay your hands on her, she will live. This is an expression of faith. 
But what was he asking him to do? Come to my house and lay hands on my daughter. And Jesus agrees to go. Now, uh, so again, Jairus does deserve credit for reaching out to Jesus. But on the way there, interesting, even though this was an urgent matter, Jesus takes a detour when this woman touches him to address this. I mean, he's taking time, valuable time, uh, especially in, in Jairus's mind, this time is of the essence. She's, she's close to death now. But Jesus feels the, the power go out of him when this woman touches him. He could have just gone on anyway. The woman received her healing, but he stops and he makes a point of saying, your faith has made you well. Go your way. Uh, be healed of your affliction. And then while they're getting ready to take off again in the direction of Jairus' house, that's when the messengers come and say, never mind. There's no sense bringing him all the way to your house. She's dead. And what does Jesus say? He turns to Jairus and says, don't be afraid. Only believe. Now, why did it matter what Jairus felt in that moment? Jesus was on his way to heal the girl, raise her from the dead in this case. Why did it matter if Jairus was afraid? Jesus is God in the flesh, right? He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, right? Well, faith is important. We've already seen this. Even more importantly, to where we are going this morning, after he restored this little girl to life, Jesus commanded them strictly not to say anything about it. There's a great song. In fact, just about every time I refer to this scripture, I refer to that Don Francisco song. It's called Got to Tell Somebody, and it is a song, as, as most of his are, it's sung from the standpoint of a person in the story, in this case, Jairus, uh, who he's telling it from his perspective and how, mortif- how, how devastated he was when, when the news came that she was dead. And then at this moment when he says, don't speak a word, and then it launches into the, to the title portion of the song where he says, not to, not to speak a word, I've got to tell somebody. I've got to tell somebody what Jesus did for me. Restored hope, restored life. And so, uh, again, we look at the blind men. Again, there was a, we, I, I see desperation. Oh, son of David, have mercy on us. They're crying out, come, heal us, heal our blindness, restore our sight. Uh, and he goes to them, what does he say? Uh, do you believe I'm able to do this? He extracts a confession of faith from them. Did he have to do that? Couldn't he have just turned around, touched him in the eye? Couldn't he have just spoken a word? They, they ask him to, you know, all it tells us is, They cried out to him, but he did go into their house and he put his hands on their eyes after extracting this confession of faith from them. But then what? Sternly warned them not to talk about it. He strictly commanded Jairus and his family not to say anything about it. He sternly warned the blind men not to say anything about it. Why? There have been uh, a few suggestions to answer that question. The least likely, the one I like least, uh, in fact, to the point where I think it's ridiculous and barely worth mentioning, but I'll mention it anyway, uh, because it's not my suggestion, is that this was Jesus' way of uh, practicing reverse psychology. Uh, If I tell you not to tell anybody, you'll think you're in possession of great secret, and it'll increase your desire to tell somebody, which eventually you'll cave to, and my glory will spread. 
again, unlikely. Uh, uh, slightly more likely, but still what I believe an incorrect answer is that Jesus, in his desire to teach and preach the kingdom of God, did not want to fill up his schedule, as it were, with healing miracles. And the more his fame spread as a healer, the more it would rob him of the opportunity to do what he felt that he was called to do, which was to preach and teach. In other words, you go out and tell people I healed of your blindness, next thing I know, every blind dude in the county is going to want to come here and get his sight back. And we don't want that. Except, apparently Jesus did want that, didn't he? Because he healed the multitudes. He healed several people in the multitudes. He healed them all, didn't he? Yeah, everybody that came to him. So, I don't think Jesus was opposed to doing more healings. I don't think that's what motivated him to say, don't tell people this. Getting a little closer to the truth, but not all the way there, I think, is that he, uh, I've heard this many times, taught by faith people, which is he didn't want them to get into conversations with people who would question them, challenge them, and cause their faith to be diminished. You know, you go sharing your healing with somebody, and they'll talk you out of it if they're not of faith. They'll say, oh, that's just a temporary condition. You're going to relapse. Uh, nobody can do that. Nobody's ever opened the eyes of somebody born blind. Uh, so he's saying, if you don't tell anybody, you won't have to defend it. You won't, you won't uh, conf be confronted with people who are going to sap you of your faith. Uh, I really do believe there is a much more satisfying answer to this. And to answer it, we're going to look at another miraculous healing. In Luke chapter 7, and I haven't forgotten about the woman with the issue of blood. I'm going to come back to her. In Luke chapter 7, uh, when, when he concluded, uh, let's start, let's start let's, verse 1, I should have told you that, Luke 7, 1. Now when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving. For he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent, returning to the house, found the servant well who had been sick. This is such a wildly different response to his words that Jesus halts the procession and rather than tell the centurion's messengers to keep it under their hats like he did with the blind men, like he did with Jairus' household, he addresses the crowd and says, See, this is what faith looks like. Now why not Jairus? He raised that little girl from the dead. Why did he not say, see, just a little faith in me, and if I take them by the hand, even if they're dead, they'll come back to life. 
if the point of Jesus' healing ministry and his miracle ministry was primarily to show you that he was, in fact, an apologetic, okay? And I've heard great ministers who I've loved and who I've gleaned a great deal from, but they cling to that, that the, if not the only, then the primary reason Jesus did miracles of any kind was simply to prove that he was who he said he was. Jesus doesn't support that at all. If it was, he certainly would have drawn attention to the fact that he raised Jairus' Jairus's daughter from the dead, that he healed these blind men. He told them not to say a thing about it. Now, it's not like he didn't do any public healings, but in this case, what did he say? Look what I can do. I can even heal from afar. No! What, he, what did he shine the spotlight on in this moment? The centurion's faith. What did the centurion say? You don't need to come here. I didn't mean for you to come all the way here. I'm not even worthy that you come into my house. Just say it. You speak the word from there, and I know my servant will be healed. I understand what authority is. I don't have to personally go up to each one of my soldiers and say, do you understand this? I don't have to guide them. I just say the word, and it trickles down, and they do what I say. Jairus went to Jesus and begged him to come and heal his daughter. And Jesus took her by the hand and raised her from the dead. The blind men called out to Jesus and he touched them. In both cases, healing was accomplished. And in both cases, Jesus told them to keep their mouths shut. The woman with the bleeding problem, she fares a little bit better. Again, she didn't call out to Jesus. She didn't interrupt him and say, touch me, Lord. She had made up her mind and spoken with her mouth, if I touch his clothes, I will be made well. And then she did, and Jesus turns around and says, what, again? Your faith has made you well. What's he put the spotlight on? His power, his virtue, her faith. He told Jairus to keep his mouth shut told the blind men to keep their mouths shut. He didn't lay hands on the woman, and he commended her faith. He also didn't say, hey, I'll get back to you. It's not that I don't want you healed, but I'm up, up the road. This little girl's dying. i got to hurry. He stopped long enough for this conversation, and he did it to make a point, and that point is made even more strongly in the healing of the centurion's servant. I have not found such great faith in Israel, in all of Israel, even in Israel. This comment was made specifically to draw attention to the truth that their birth, uh, their lineage, their geography did not automatically uh, imply or confer faith. In Luke chapter 4, we read this, uh, beginning in verse 23. Luke 4, 23, he said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent, except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. 
So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city, and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then, passing through the midst of them, he went his way. Now see, they saw Jesus' ministry, or heard about Jesus' ministry in Capernaum. Jesus was from Nazareth, so when he came to Nazareth, they were watching him. Well, he's ours. If he can do these things, let him do them here of all places. And Jesus did what? He pointed to faith. And his response, he actually took it even farther than their expectations because uh, Capernaum was at least a Jewish town. It was a town in uh, Judea. Uh, and Nazareth was Jesus' town. And he responded to them saying, not only does it matter what town you're from, it doesn't even matter if you're Jewish. He says, look back. And, the, and he's referring now to the Old Covenant under which Jesus still ministered. The Jews had a covenant that included many, many promises, many, many blessings. Read about the blessings of Abraham. Read, read in Deuteronomy the, the blessings that are spelled out. And he was saying that... Uh, in the times of, of the great, some of the greatest prophetic ministry, when we talk about the power prophets, the two most uh, famous examples are Elijah and Elisha, the miracles that they did. And he said, during those days, uh, do you think, you know, he was sent to the widow of Zarephath. He said, why? Do you think it's because there were no widows in Israel? That God sent him to a Gentile widow? Think about all the lepers there were in Israel who have a covenant with God that includes healing, and yet who got cleansed? Assyrian, Naaman. Why? Is it just the mysterious workings of God's will? Is it capricious? No. What's Jesus saying here? It's about faith. Who, in this case, Naaman was willing to obey, to go all the way to where Elisha was, and then to obey by going and dipping seven times in the river. Faith is what matters, not where you're from, not what your lineage is here. They're, ta they're talking about, hey, if you can do it in Capernaum, do it in Nazareth. He's saying it doesn't even matter if it's Capernaum, Nazareth, anywhere else. If a Gentile believes, they're going to experience the answer. Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 21. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of, region of Tyre and Sidon, and behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is not a, a covenant woman who is crying out after him, but she recognizes his power. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. What a sweet and compassionate and loving Savior we serve. And, he, and she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O oh, woman, you have talked me into it. Nope. O oh, woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. It said she was demon-possessed, 
But what the result was, when this demon was expelled, uh, that she received her healing. And we know this, if you look at when Jesus healed the multitudes, that he healed many who were oppressed of the devil. What the word teaches us, I feel very clearly that in many cases, uh, sickness, I don't believe in every case, not by a long shot. I don't think every time you have a cold, every time you have any particular disease, I don't say that there's a demon behind that. I am saying that many cases of de demonic activity manifest themselves in physical sickness. And this is clearly what was going on with this, with this uh, woman's daughter. I bring this one up here, uh, I bring this up to remind you that there's an important truth, that we are looking at the, what we're looking at today is the importance of faith. Whoever you are and wherever you are. Jesus brought up the fact that notable miracles were performed for faith-filled people who were not covenant people. In the Old Testament, in this story, the Gentile woman expresses faith in Jesus, and in order to draw that faith out, Jesus pretty much teases her. But he says something truly significant to us. Healing is the children's bread. He's saying it kind of on the oblique when he's addressing her. Uh, you, you know, one, one way of rephrasing what he's saying, Lord, I need you to do this for me. He says, uh, what I have, healing in this case, belongs to a certain group of people. You are not that group of people. And she expressed her faith by saying, you've got more than enough. I'll take what spills over. I'll take what they don't eat, whatever falls on the ground, and it'll be enough. And Jesus says, great is your faith. You can have it. But what did he say about who it belongs to? That's us. God's family, God's covenant people. That's who Jesus has the healing for. And there is more than enough. But we're the ones that have to sit at the table and partake of this bread. How often? Don't you find it significant that when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he taught them to pray, pray give us this day our daily bread. That's something I'm going to bring up again down the road. I've I got to get to something else to wrap this up, and we still are going to take communion together. Again, this is critically important, even though it's simple, so let me, let, me, let me restate it, that yes, God can do anything for anyone at any time, but promises have been made to his people. There is a contract. That's what a covenant is. Healing belongs to the people of God. Now, back to the centurion. Finally, uh, uh, Jairus, don't say anything. Blind guys, don't say anything. And then the centurion says what he says. I understand authority. You say the word. My servant will be healed. And Jesus stops the procession, turns to the crowd and says, you hear that? Pay attention. Pay attention to this because this is the faith I'm looking for. Faith that doesn't require me to touch you. Faith that doesn't require me to follow you to your house. Faith that doesn't require me to manifest physically in your presence. But faith that takes me at my word. He did, he did a tremendous miracle in Jairus' household. He did a tremendous miracle when he laid hands on these blind people and then says, don't say anything about this. And then when Jairus, here's, a, here's another opportunity for Jesus to show up on the scene, gloriously perform this work, 
and, 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 sorry, and, and the, the centurion, who possibly was Cornelius, but the Bible doesn't spell that out, but the centurion says, you don't need to come here, just say it. That's not very dramatic, though. It's not as dramatic as Jesus, or even being in his presence. He said, you just say it, you just declare it to be so, and this is what Jesus says, ah, this, everybody pay attention to this. These other guys, no, no, don't, don't worry, don't, don't be, Jairus, no, 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 we don't want to hear that story. Blind guys, we don't want to hear that story. This, this, I've not seen greater faith than this. Faith that just believes what I say to the point you can receive it. Do you remember? Yeah. Let me make this clear as can be. And I don't mean this to slam anybody. And there's absolutely nothing wrong, nothing wrong with when Jesus manifests himself in a special, in a tangible way, in a miraculous way. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, faith that requires a physical manifestation of God's presence, or in this case, a physical touch from Jesus, is still faith. It's just not the kind of faith that Jesus holds up as an example. Remember what Jesus, uh, what, what, Jesus, what David Beebe, he looks so much like Jesus. What David Beebe taught a few weeks ago about Mark 11, 23 and 24. When do you start believing? When you pray. That's when you believe. When, the, when did the centurion believe that his servant was healed? When Jesus spoke the word. He believed it before Jesus spoke the word. He said, I know as soon as you say it, it'll be done. So when it comes to our healing, the confession of our faith is important. It is important that what comes out of our mouth agrees with what God says about our healing or whatever need that we are facing. We pray, and then what do we do? We thank God. We confess. We continue to agree with our mouth, even to the point of speaking to the need, to the physical, uh, to the healing, uh, to, to whatever injury. Talk to Josh Peach again. I, I, I shared a couple weeks ago how... He was really moved by what, uh, what David Beebe said, and he received a healing, a manifestation of a healing that I said had been bothering his foot for months. He corrected me on the phone a day or two later, saying it had actually been years. And he received this healing. And I, we were talking the other day, what a blessing this guy is turning out to be. And his mom's here today. Good to see you. Uh, what a blessing this kid's turning out to be. It, it, I know a lot of you have gotten to know him uh, over the last uh, few years, I know, but he's, uh, he can, he's, he's, he's just very candid about, he'll, he'll just tell you, man, I used to do some stupid, stupid stuff. And he said, but he's so excited about what he's learning and the things he's beginning to apply in the Word of God, and he was telling me, I, I, I wasn't even asking him about this. He said, oh, by the way, my foot started hurting me again the other day. He says, but it didn't even bother me. He says, I just keep thanking God for my healing and speaking to my foot. I have not seen such great faith <laughs> in all of Champaign County. No, this is, this is what we ought to, ought to aspire to. Faith, faith is not God, please, please, please God. I, it kind of is because at least it's reaching out for God. It's expressing that you believe God and believe that he can hear you and that he can do what you're asking him to do. But among those of us with a covenant a promise that includes healing. Once you have prayed, you know it belongs to you. 
Thanksgiving to God is the expression of faith. Speaking to your body like speaking to the mountain, right? Praise and worship team, you could be coming up here. I'll say a little bit more about this in the communion meditation. You can cry out to God, and God knows what we're made of. He understands when we're dealing with something difficult that causes us to cry out, even if it doesn't sound like faith. But let God encourage you. Remember who you're talking to. I'm the one who loves you. It's like Jesus uh, when, they, when they woke him up in the boat. Master, don't you care that we're about to die, that we're, that we're perishing? And he calms the storm, but then he says what to them? Where, how is it that you have no faith? Did that sound like faith when you came running, screaming, crying, and waking me up? It's one thing to wake me up and say, hey, Lord, it's a bad storm, so we're really glad you're with us. What do you want us to do? Keep going? Turn around? Can you, can you calm the storm? But no, it's like, Master, we're going to die! And then Jesus calms the storm, and this is, what, what was that that came out of your mouth? How is it that you have no faith? So he gets it. He understands what our limitations are. Why did you scream when you saw a mouse, of all things, when I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions? I'm not looking at anybody, Cheryl. And I know, spiders, right? That's different. <laughs> Speaking to your body, to your injury, to your sickness, to your need, like speaking to the mountain. Once you have prayed and you know you're standing on a promise, you don't need to say, oh God, hurry up and make it happen, hurry up and make it happen. You say, it was done when it came out of his mouth. It was done when I prayed. And then whenever, it's like, well, there's still not a manifestation. It still hurts. It still hurts, whatever. Thank you, God, that healing belongs to me. Your word has gone out and it is right now effecting a healing and a cure in my body. Body. What? Yes, absolutely. Speak to it. Your knee, your elbow, your back, your neck, your eyes, your head, whatever. I command you to come in line with what Jesus has already accomplished. Jesus has made me whole, so body, be whole. Sickness, you don't have the right to stay in my body. Pain, you don't have the right to stay in my body. Leave. I'm not just going to live long. My strength is not going to be diminished. My vision is not going to be dim. Say these things because it's what God has said about you, right? Now, uh, stand up with me for just a minute. You don't, you don't have to, but I'm giving you a shake it loose. I know it's not been a super long message, but uh, if you need to wake up, stand. I'm going to have you sit back down before we take communion, but I did want to say this. Again, I went a little bit different direction because I was going to talk about this week was what really faith is for, what we're supposed to be doing with this powerful, powerful gift and weapon. Uh, so next week, if God lets me, that's where we'll go, talk more about the higher things that we are to exercise faith for, and we'll also begin to address the role of the Holy Spirit with some emphasis on praying in tongues. But I want, right now I just want to remind you that when we go to God in faith, that we can only go to God in faith because of a covenant. That means we have to be children of God. And people say, well, aren't we all God's children? And the fact is, we're not. 
We are all God's, ultimately, we are all God's creation. But the covenant, the new covenant that we walk in, which is built on better promises, is for those who are in the family of God, those who are born of God. What did Jesus say about who's, uh, who are the children of God? He said, he said at one point, you are of your father, the devil. Now, you can't be a, you can't be a child of the devil and a child of God's. And I heard somebody say this years ago. We were talking about a, a mutual friend who, who was a health nut, lived very healthy, uh, took great care of himself, uh, and then suffered a heart attack at a, at a relatively young age. And this guy who was talking about it, and he survived the heart attack, but he was really frustrated because he's like, I took such good care of myself, I, I didn't deserve a heart attack. And this guy said to me, you know, you can choose your lifestyle, you can choose your diet, but you can't choose your parents. And he was talking about how so much disease of any kind is hereditary. And it's like, well, if you're, you're a child of the devil, you can't help how you act. Except, this is, what, this is what's so beautiful about this, when Jesus describes conversion, he's not just talking about changing your mind, he's talking about declaring your death and being born again. How do you get a new parent? You have a new birth. You don't want to be a child of the devil? Be born of God. This is a choice you get to make, and it's what God does in you when you confess your faith in him as Lord and as Savior. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Does anybody desire to enter into that covenant blood relationship with Jesus Christ today? All right. I believe that's because everybody in here is saved. Isn't it good to be part of the family of God? Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.